0: Thanks, friends, for listening to Nonprofit Lowdown. If you like Nonprofit Lowdown, you will love my free weekly newsletter with resources, fundraising inspiration, and cute dog photos. Did I mention the cute dog photos? Sign up at Ria That's rheawong.com. That's R H E A W O N G.com. Your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Lee Crockett, and we are going to talk all about what corporate people are looking for when they join nonprofit boards. So, we're going to try to crack the code and see it from the other side in order to entice more corporate people onto our boards. So, welcome, Lee. Hi, Rhea. Thank you for having me. So Lee Crockett Consulting is your own company. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do in Lee Crockett Consulting.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I'm a leadership development and career strategist, and I create motivated, productive, and most importantly, promotable teams that drive performance and bottom line growth. So I work with corporate startups, nonprofits, really across the runs the gamut to work on developing the talent that they have and working on their internal pipeline.
0: And one of the specialties and you and I talked about early on is that you coach women up the career ladder to really maximize their growth in the corporate sector. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of my signature programs is called Path to Promotion. So I work with high-achieving professional women to fast track their promotion so that they can overcome imposter syndrome and take control of their career,
0: get back in the driver's seat. I love that. And given your experience in the corporate sector with your MBA, I'm sure that you're very good at coaching them to promote themselves and get up that ladder. So let me switch tacks a little bit. So we all are running nonprofits. We Board recruitment is always a topic of conversation. So when we think about wanting to get more corporate people onto our boards, what should we know about how to recruit and attract corporate folks to our boards?
1: Yeah, I think the, the biggest and the simplest thing to know is that corporate people are looking for benefits They're looking for things that are going to help propel them to the next level. And yes, they are looking for a cause or an organization that aligns with their values, aligns with their passion, but they're also looking for different kinds of benefits to help them both personally and professionally.
0: So talk to me about that. Like, what do you mean when you say benefits? Because like what you and I had talked about early on was that if you're a middle manager looking to get into like senior leadership or the C-suite, you look at board leadership or board membership as a way to round out your CV. What are the things are people looking for when they're joining? Yeah,
1: so there are tons of things. And just to rattle off a few, leadership development. So if they're not in a space where they have access or you know they're not on the upward trajectory to becoming a people leader, they gain leadership development, they gain access to fundraising, which is not common or as common in the corporate environment. It is a way to pad their resume, like you said, and kind of give them that next leg up on their way into whatever that next step is for them professionally. But it's also going to give them visibility as they develop their network. There are all kinds of intangibles that add up to a bigger package of why joining a board to a lot of corporate people is the next most logical step in transitioning from middle management into the C-suite.
0: So one thing that you and I had spoken about before we started recording is that I think we make an assumption that people are going to want to do what they do in their nine to five lives. So just because you're an accountant doesn't necessarily mean you want to be doing accounting in your volunteer life. So talk to me a little bit about how we can sort of thread that needle.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to, as you're in the process of speaking with people from corporate America who are looking to join the board, is really asking them those questions. What is your current skill set? What kind of skills are you looking to gain By being a part of this board, because to your point, Ria, if you're very siloed and you're in finance or accounting, but that C-suite job manages finance, accounting, marketing and sales, for example, you're kind of feeling like you're not as qualified as somebody who has experience that is more well-rounded. So by joining a board, you may be able to get exposure to the functions that you don't see or touch in your corporate life.
0: I want to loop back on something that you said that I just like really think bears repeating is that people join boards in order to get experience with fundraising, and I think so often we recruit corporate people onto our board, assuming that they know how to fundraise because they talk about money in their day job or like they're in sales and therefore they must know how to fundraise. Dispel that myth for me because I I have harped on this a million bajillion times, which is you cannot assume that just because somebody talks money in their day job that they know how to fundraise.
1: Absolutely. And that's a really good point to make. And I have a sales background. That does not mean that I know what the process looks like or how to engage from a nonprofit perspective in terms of fundraising. I may know how to chase cold leads and develop relationships. So that may give me a leg up, but there's still going to be a learning curve there. And when you compare that with individuals who come from a non-sales or non-marketing or non-customer-facing role, there needs to actually be the assumption of the reverse, that these people are coming in and there are other things that they can offer the nonprofit from the board's perspective but there needs to be that win win and that give and take there of maybe they need some training in fundraising, or maybe they don't have, like we were just saying, that exposure into marketing. So they may need to pick up some of those skills along the way.
0: Yeah, that's such an important point that we do need to provide the training for them to do the thing that we've asked them how to do. And I think sometimes, too, and I'd love your perspective on this, I think sometimes we assume competence and it becomes a weird thing because they're like, oh, I don't feel like I can ask for help because I'm supposed to be the expert or whatever it may be. And so it just creates this like chasm of misunderstanding. Cause like, here I am as, as a nonprofit, because i asking you to do the stuff, not knowing that you don't necessarily know how to do it, but like as a board member, you're perhaps embarrassed to admit that you don't know how to do it. And so you don't do it. Is that a right. dynamic that you've seen before?
1: Absolutely. And I think that kind of goes back to my previous point about the process of recruiting for the board or selecting people for the board really needs to be like interviewing, like dating and really understanding, okay, not just this, here's this person's resume. And I assume he can do everything that we need them to do because it does lead to misunderstanding. And I think that's one of the things that I see as a pitfall a lot of times is that in those first few interactions, it's really kind of, I'm a nonprofit, I have a space on the board, I've reviewed your credentials, I'm a person from corporate, I want a space on the board, it aligns with my values, and I think I'm going to get these things that are going to level me up, but you don't talk about what those things are. So I think it's really important to, from the very beginning, outline what the expectations are. And another thing that I've seen that happens is that corporate person thinks that joining a board means you attend the meetings you get fancy, you dress up for the galas and the banquets and things like that. And they don't really always understand all of the work that is required of them until it's too late. And then you figure out that there's not a match. So having those conversations up front is really, really critical to making sure that both sides get what they're looking for.
0: Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head Lee. which is one of my catchphrases is clear is kind. So the clearer you can be, the better everyone is able to understand what you're signing up for and then you can be kind about it. Let me ask another question because I think one of the things that has been a personal frustration of mine is that you have these very busy corporate folks, right? They have demanding jobs. They may have families. We're all busy. Everyone's busy. But What happens is they come to the meetings. They maybe have read the board minutes, but probably haven't. <laughs> then they're there for like the two hours of the meeting and then it's out of sight, out of mind until the next meeting a quarter later. So I guess I'm just wondering, any ideas about how we can continue to keep them engaged in between meetings and like moving the work along?
1: Yeah, I think that again, kind of going back to communication and expectations is laying that out up front. Like, hey, this is more than just meetings. This is the kind of work that we need, whether that's a committee, whether that's setting up for the next meeting, whatever those activities are. It's communicated very clearly and making sure that if the person is not up for that, then that means they're not a fit. There are definitely different criteria of things that I have seen um, that nonprofits are looking for. But if you take into account when you're weighing them, not just are they a good donor, not just what does their experience bring to us, but also are they willing and able To put in the time and the effort required to do what we're expecting them to do. And a lot of times you're going to get those middle management corporate people who are looking to move into the C-suite, who are much more ready and willing and able to devote the time that it takes because they have more at stake versus a senior executive. I'm already a CEO. I'm probably way too busy to put in that work. So it's kind of from the nonprofit's perspective, you have to weigh those things as you're looking to fill the spaces that you have. Who do we already have? Do we have a couple CEOs who are demonstrating that behavior? Then maybe we need to move in and recruit some middle management so that we have a good balance of what the board as a whole is contributing.
0: That's such a good point. And let's stop there for a second, because I think often we have this fantasy of like, I'm just going to get a bunch of CEOs on my board and it's going to be great. But often it's middle managers who are looking to join a board for the first time and they may have more time than they do money. So I guess what I'm wondering is, how do we close that gap between the people that we may want, which are all the CEOs, and the people that are actually interested and have the time to join the board?
1: Yeah, so I have and I've heard of other organizations using this kind of system. And it's really, you can boil it down to the four W's of how you identify what you have versus what you need. So it's wisdom, work, wealth, and why. So wisdom is going to be their experience, their resume, what they bring to the table on paper work is, are they ready to work? Are they going to put in the time and the effort to do this? The wealth can be from a donor perspective. It can also be, are they wealthy in terms of the network that they bring to you to offer access to you? And then the why is like the last thing, but one of the most important, are they really aligned from a values perspective? So if you take a look at your board and you have a lot of wealth and you have a lot of wisdom, then the focus should be, okay, let's fill it out with some really strong whys and some really strong work. And that's going to help balance things.
0: The process of renovating a board is a multi-year process. So at the beginning, when you're just starting the work, like you may have a lot of middle managers and then you continue to upgrade them. And then, of course, your middle managers also get promoted into more senior positions. So I think it's a long game is what I would say, given my experience with revamping a board. Talk to us a little bit about how we get access. So if I'm sitting here and I'm like, look, I know I want, particularly here in New York, Finance, law, maybe real estate folks, but I don't really know those people in those networks. How do I even get started? Do I go through like corporate social responsibility? Do I go through HR? Like, how do I get started with recruitment?
1: Yeah, those are both really good ways to start. And I like to think of it from the perspective that. Almost every corporate organization has some sort of community outreach program, some sort of diversity and inclusion program, some sort of group or committee where their job is to find organizations to partner with. So I think it's really, really important from the organization's standpoint to build deep relationships with a nonprofit because a lot of times what happens is it's giving day and we go in and we take the day off and we participate, we partner with a nonprofit and it's great for a day, but it's a really good opportunity for the nonprofit to really work on cultivating those relationships so that there are multiple touch points per year. So maybe it's once a quarter we get together, maybe the nonprofit comes in and speaks on a certain topic, but just building those relationships is going to give you an automatic in and an automatic leg up over other nonprofits if you're looking to recruit within a certain industry or within a certain large company.
0: Talk to me about this strategy of going deep versus going wide. So when I think about my board, I had like some banking folks, I had some law folks, but I had three executives from City And So I'm just trying to think about how do you balance the idea of deepening a relationship with one company versus having lots of relationships with different companies to diversify the portfolio, if you will?
1: Yeah, I think that a really good example of balance that everybody's trying to get, especially for diversity purposes, it doesn't make sense to have your entire board sourced from one company. But there are ways, like I said, to deepen relationships with multiple companies, as long as there's more than one touchpoint per year. If it's just like a high and buy once a year, then that's not really going to make the organization from the corporate side feel like we know these people, we're building a relationship. So if there are outreach initiatives on the nonprofit's perspective, maybe once a quarter, you're going in to meet with, you know, one different organization, but that's still going to deepen the relationship with four different organizations. And it's really setting you up to diversify your board from an industry perspective, from a background perspective.
0: We didn't actually talk about the role of a junior board in creating a pipeline. I guess I'm wondering, do you have any insight there around junior people? Because I do know that, for example, at my nonprofit, we had junior people who were first or second jobs out of college, who obviously had a lot more time than money. They would organize fundraisers that weren't a huge number of dollars, but really good in terms of getting names in the door. But sometimes they would be able to carry the water to their bosses and then a gift would come through. So can you talk a little bit about a strategy that we can think about when trying to engage younger folks?
1: Yeah, I think that junior boards would function with younger level professional corporate people the same way that it works with the middle managers. Their professional goals is to move into middle management most times, the same way that middle managers want to move into the C-suite. So To them, the earlier that they have an opportunity to get access to all of these things, the more well-rounded they look and the more promotable they look to the organization that they work for. So junior boards are a great way to kind of plant the seeds. And like you said, it kind of has a trickle-up effect because these early career people will go to their boss, which is the middle manager, and get them involved. And then that may be a good board placement or may go, and that middle manager may go to their boss, which may be a good board placement or a good source for donation. So I think that it's a really good strategy to kind of infiltrate an organization a little bit earlier on and really get access to a wider net.
0: Talk to me about anything that you've seen with respect to a board having like one big kahuna, let's say, because I definitely had the experience of once we got like, One or two big fish, all of a sudden, board recruitment became much easier because all of a sudden those people were looking to do business with the person on the board. And all of a sudden, like, oh, guess what? I had all these applications to be on my board. Is that a strategy that you've seen work before? It
1: is a strategy that I've seen work. I think that the best strategy, though, and we were talking about that before we went live, is to really look at it as long term relationship building, like dating. Like, you have to court these big kahunas, potentially for a long time before you can find the right opportunity, before you've built the relationship deep enough to bring up board placement With them, So I think it's a a really good dual strategy is to make sure that you have your wish list, if you will, people who are in your circle or close to your circle, that it makes sense for you to continue to go after them. And yeah, it really does put the nonprofit in a really good position where you have tons of applications and you can sort of pick from what you want, but it all comes back to balancing like, okay, this person, the big kahuna, they may just check off the the wealth category. So we still need to make sure that everybody else that we're bringing in is going to offset and complement what they don't bring to the table.
0: All right. I I'm going to ask a question. You may not be able to answer it. I'm just okay. curious because I feel like the gold standard, like the big ask in this sky is everyone's like, we want to be someone's like corporate sponsor, right? Like we want to have a relationship where we're very much like in bed and we're part of an extension of their brand. I've seen very few nonprofits actually do this successfully, but I'm just wondering how might one do this if it were (laughs) a strategy to, and and I'm thinking off the top of my head, like Timberland and and City Year or uh, Charity Water that has a bunch of corporate sponsors. So I'm, I'm just curious if you have an idea of how might we do this if that's something that we are interested in pursuing.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if this is going to answer it completely, but what I have seen done, I have not seen, to your point, I have not seen it done to that degree or to that extent. But what I have seen happen is the nonprofit, after building those kinds of relationships, and again, having multiple touch points per year and volunteer days and different things like that, where the nonprofit would recognize the company, Or certify them. Or sometimes there are achievement awards that they're given and sort of the branding starts to mesh from that point. You can tout the corporate logo on the website or vice versa. And the corporate company can say, hey, we're certified in diversity or we're certified in giving or whatever that Thing may be by this company. And that's kind of the first step into the door into meshing the brand identities. But I have not seen it done, to your point, to that large of a scale.
0: Lee, I'm going to open it up for questions in a second. But other thing that I really wanted to ask you was, as boards and as nonprofits, we're increasingly focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think everyone is looking for board members of color coming from corporate backgrounds. So how might we go about that? Because I think that is kind of on everyone's checklist of wanting to fill out certain corporation involvement plus diversity goals. Yeah,
1: I think that reaching out to different organizations is a good first step. In addition to committees that work on community development, it's huge now across the board in every industry, every vertical. So there are going to be groups within almost every organization that focus on diversity and inclusion. It's a good touch point or a good contact to make to reach out to them to say, hey, this is one of our initiatives. There are tons of organizations that are popping up now, like HireBlack.com or HireBlackNow.com, I believe is one of them, where you can go in and it's a pool of people of color and you can say, hey, this is our initiative. This is what we're looking to do. So I think that the focus is definitely there. It's just a matter of reaching out and connecting with the organizations and being open and saying, hey, we're, we want to be as diverse as we can. Like, who should we talk to? And I think that would be a welcome conversation.
0: So just to dig in on that a little bit, like, are you suggesting, like, DEI groups within companies or, I mean, are there like affinity groups within companies? I know you can't answer that for every single company, but I guess I'm just wondering how do we even start to get in there if we don't have those connections, like cold email, like how do we find out about these things?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously I can't speak for every organization to your point, but a lot of them do have affinity groups. A lot of them do just call it diversity groups or employee resource groups. So reaching out to HR would be a good contact to just say, hey, we want to coordinate some events or we want to have a conversation or who would those contacts be who are really working on um, diversity, equity, inclusion within your organization.
0: And then just to flip it on the other side, because I think as nonprofits, we also have to seem appealing to an HR department to even put us in front of their employees. So what are some things that you've seen nonprofits do to make themselves attractive or you know, good to do business with?
1: Some of the things I've seen is just, if you haven't had a lot of exposure into those kinds of programs, it's sort of the chicken or the egg. And I think that's the point that you're making, like, how do we get started? So from the beginning, it's some of it is just cold. It's cold outreach and really just trying to find a partner that's going to want to work with you. But as you continue to build and develop those kinds of programs, you can say, hey, this is what we've done with this organization. These are the kinds of programs that we have building case studies or things of just showcasing what you have done, what your values are, what your mission is, and trying to do the research, obviously, and find organizations where there's some alignment there is a big step forward.
0: Yeah. And just to underscore that, I think what you're saying is that we have to make it easier to do business. Like We have to make it an easy yes, because I think sometimes we don't get our own ducks in the row and like we don't have the proper materials or we don't have the proper ask. And so it It becomes very confusing as opposed to a clean ask for an HR person. Like, it's plug and play. It's easy. You don't have to think about it. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. If you have everything together and you've already done the work on the front end to making sure, okay, I know what this company is about. I know what their values are. It aligns with ours in these ways. Then it's sort of, oh, from an HR perspective, if I review it, oh, of course that makes sense here, I'd want to connect you. But if I have to put things together, there are so many apps that come across the desk of
0: HR every day. It needs to be a layup. Okay, last question. I keep saying, but I really am going to open it up for questions. Can we talk about LinkedIn for a second? Because I think personally, LinkedIn is like the most underrated social media platform out there. How Extensively are corporate folks using LinkedIn to network and to look at look for their next opportunity and how might we think about using LinkedIn in order to attract people to
1: our Oh board? extensively. I mean, if you're in corporate and you care about your career and you want to continue to move up and develop yourself, you're going to be on LinkedIn some people are on it multiple times a day, just kind of researching, looking at jobs, looking at opportunities. So I would definitely start for a nonprofit who's looking to find corporate people for their board, really just start perusing LinkedIn and look at your network, look at people that are second and third connections, obviously, to people that you may know. Ask for introductions and just start building and cultivating relationships from there. But LinkedIn, I agree, is very
0: underutilized. What I just want to highlight for folks who don't know about it is that when you do an advanced filter search, there's actually a little button that you can click for people who are looking for nonprofit boards. So, LinkedIn's already done the work for you. So go get on that. Okay, let's open it up. Any questions coming in from the audience? Yeah, I
1: think one of the questions I have is I think the training piece, getting board members up to speed is so critical. And I think I'd love to know if anyone's sort of figured out like the best ways to go about doing that, particularly on the fundraising side. Our particular challenge, you know, with our board is like most boards, don't want to fundraise for us. And there's a little bit of a hesitancy to introduce us to you know, other folks networks which is just critical and that's part of the board role and I think there are some strategic reasons for why that is and some lack of clarity in, in some areas and I I'm just curious though so like what like in terms of like getting the board to feel really confident in their fundraising like any suggestions tips training materials that you can offer
0: such a good question Matt thanks yeah I think that Rhea, you're
1: the best person to answer this, obviously, because that's what you do. But in terms of the training piece, Matthew, I think what I can say is, and it happens in corporate too, it's nobody's fault. It's just, we live in a sink or swim kind of world. You have to go in and this is what we need you to do. So just go do it. I think that if we carefully think about board members in terms of what they bring to the table. And I don't want to make it sound so simple, but when I think about even the training that I've done with corporate in terms of, hey, you're new to this role. How do we train you without taking time away, without putting together a full onboarding system? It could be some quick training videos. It could be maybe just one or two days or a couple, an hour here, an hour there of people who are already on the board, who are already used to doing what needs to be done with volunteers or other employees of the nonprofit to just say, hey, here's kind of what I do. Like, let me give you a quick introduction to what I do. And that'll allow the person who's joining the board to really sit back and say like, oh." I didn't know I was going to have to do, like, whatever it may be, it's going to force conversation and questions. So I think if you really think about it from that perspective, like kind of onboarding a new employee in a short version, of course, I think that could be extremely helpful to getting them the exposure early on before it's kind of do or die and they have to perform and they don't know what
0: to do. Yeah, I've done many podcast episodes about this, but I have like just three quick thoughts on that. So, number one, to your earlier point, Lee. Most not corporate people have no idea what the nonprofit fundraising cycle even looks like. They think it's all about solicitation. So really dispelling and pulling back the curtain around like what is fundraising actually look like? And for a lot of them, it's a welcome surprise that like solicitation is only two percent of the whole cycle. It's really about cultivation and stewardship. So like allaying their fears there. Number two, I would say doing some training with them about around money, because I think we make the mistake that because they work in banking, that they don't have money baggage. Well, we all have money baggage and we all have lots of hangups about money, asking for money, seem like a beggar, et cetera, et cetera. Just get it out on the table. Like we, let's talk about the baggage. And then number three, and I would refer to my podcast with Laura Friedrichs, helping them ahead of time. Brainstorming the responses that they might get when they ask for money and what they might say, because I think the big fear for them is that they're going to be caught out and not know what to say and feel embarrassed. So if they can actually spend the time ahead of time to brainstorm, like all the possible things that might happen in a conversation and what I might say, it'll build their confidence to make them feel like, well, at least I like have thought about a couple things. And which is not to say that someone couldn't give you the 16th thing that you didn't think about, but it, I think it's a confidence builder. So I hope that's helpful. Karen, you have a question. I wanted you to ask, but I'm fine with asking. Any suggestions for someone who is actually seeking a corporate board seat, not at the C-suite level, but just to be on the board of directors?
1: So just to clarify, somebody who wants to be on a nonprofit board or you said a corporate board?
0: A corporate board.
1: Okay. Yeah. I would say that the same kind of methodology would apply to what i was saying for a nonprofit board. So from your perspective, it's really understanding kind of what you bring to the table and making sure that it really does jive with what they're looking for and again, laying out the expectations because i know a lot of times what what we think is i want to be on board. So we try to move forward with what makes sense and a lot of times it doesn't always work for what we're looking for. And it really comes down to, is this the right board opportunity? And should I hold off? Should I wait? Or is it, I want to check the box and say like, I'm on a board.
0: If I could follow up. So where do people find out about corporate boards? So we spend a lot of time, obviously nonprofits thinking about the nonprofit boards, but I'm just thinking, especially in the age of like post George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, that corporate boards are looking to diversify More. And I know California has a rule that 50% of your board has to be female. So, how might we think about as nonprofit leaders being on a corporate board? Like, how do we even find out about these opportunities?
1: Yeah. So, that's a really good question. And I don't have a lot of answers for that. What I did see most recently, though, is, and I wish I could remember the name, that's going to bother me. But there are some organizations who are looking to place diverse board members on. Corporate boards. And really, there are initiatives out there now that I'm seeing, like I said, within the last week or so, we're really focused on that, on diversifying corporate boards and really acting as a matchmaking service, essentially, to being able to to do that. And the premise, obviously, is exactly what you just said, is that there's a lot of focus on nonprofit boards and diversifying that. The conversation doesn't usually switch to corporate boards as often. So they're really trying to pull back the curtain there and really focus their efforts on diversifying corporate boards.
0: Okay. So that's a really fun thing for us to think about. And Matt, just put in the chat, Board Assist. So I've actually had great success with board assistant. the Remick has done a great job. So shout out to Cynthia for folks who are looking for more targeted recruitment help in building on their boards. Just as we're wrapping up, Leah, could you repeat the four Ws for folks who want to take some notes? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the four Ws are really a tool and a methodology to understand who you have on your board versus what you need and what you should be looking for. So the first W is wisdom, which would be their experience. What do they bring to the table in terms of their resume, their CV? The second is work. Are they willing to put in the time and the effort required to meet the expectations of what you're looking for? The third is wealth, which can come in a wonderful donor to our organization, or they just have a vast and extensive network that we would have access to by bringing them in. And then the last is why. Are their values aligned with what we're doing? Because that's what's going to fuel the work really. If it's not something that they're passionate about, if it's not something that they want to do, then they're less inclined to actually stay up late and put the kids to bed and then come back to the laptop or do whatever it is that needs to be done for the organization.
0: Yeah. And I just think we really need to underscore the point that we keep making, which is like, we have to exchange value for value, right? So whether it's a sense of satisfaction or building a skill set or building a network, we also have to remember that we're offering resources in return for what the board members are offering us. Any last thoughts as we sign off? No, I think that you just repeated
1: sort of my last thoughts is really just going into it and knowing that there has to be a win-win and that it really needs to be not just, and I don't want to underscore and make it sound like that's what happens, but that's sort of the cliche of what happens. It's like, I have a board, I need butts and seats, like, okay, like, let's move forward. But it's really about taking your time and courting each other, interviewing each other, making sure that everything is aligned for what you need because that's what's going to set up your board, not only now, but in the future and making sure that you have the success that you want to have in your organization.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And also just underscoring the expectation so that it's not like I show up at a board meeting and then I don't think about it again for a quarter until I show up at the next board meeting. Right. Lee, where can folks find you on the internet? If they want to learn more about you, your company, your coaching? So you can find me on my
1: website, which is lee.crockett.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn
0: or on Instagram, which is at lee a crockett. Perfect. Well, Lee, thank you so much for this. This was super helpful, super informative. So. As all the folks out there listening, thinking about trying to recruit corporate folks onto your board, we've shared some good resources. There's Cynthia Remick at Board Assist. There's LinkedIn. Get on LinkedIn. Stalk people on LinkedIn. It is the most secret weapon that you have, and it's very powerful. Lee, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, everyone.